now draws near. O come, let us adore him. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Please be seated. Maranatha. Come, Lord Jesus. It's the last word used by St. Paul before his blessing at the end of 1 Corinthians. St. John uses it again just prior to his blessing at the end of Revelation. And it's an Aramaic word that's usually translated, Come, Lord Jesus. But it can also be translated, Jesus has come. Did you know that? It can be translated either way. Come, Lord Jesus, and Jesus has come. Some scholars believe that this dual use of the word is intentional. Either way, it encapsulates the season of Advent, which focuses on the arrival of Jesus. Long-time Christians sometimes forget that the arrival of Jesus has changed, is changing, and will change everything. Advent's a complex season, packed into just a short time period, three to four weeks. This year it's the shortest I think it can be because the fourth Sunday of Advent is actually Christmas Eve too. And so we start late this year. But it focuses on the expectation that we await the arrival of a king. That the king is at the gates. And while it's hard for us to see sometimes, his return is imminent. Our mother, the church, reminds us as her sons and daughters to focus on the three arrivals of this king. In his sermon from the 12th century, St. Bernard, abbot of the monastery in Clairvaux, France, writes, We know that there are three comings of the Lord. In the first coming... He was seen on earth, dwelling among men. He himself testifies that they saw him and hated him. In the final coming of all flesh, all flesh will see the salvation of our God, and they will look on him whom they pierced. The immediate coming, intermediate coming rather, is a hidden one. It is only the elect that see the Lord with their own selves, and they are saved. In his first coming, our Lord came in our flesh and in our weakness. In this middle coming, he comes in spirit and in power. And in the final coming, he will be seen in glory and majesty. We see all three of these comings that St. Bernard talks about in our season here of Advent. We see it in the scriptures today. We prayed it in the collect that we sang earlier. And we see it in all the Advent hymns. As one commentator writes, Advent's not just climbing back into the Old Testament and attempting a make-believe waiting, pretending that Jesus has not yet come. The waiting of Advent is a real waiting, an authentic expectancy of an event that has not yet taken place, an event that lies out there ahead of us. 
indeed, how true that is. The first Sunday of Advent today, we focus on the last coming. And of course, every Sunday, we focus on the intermediate coming. That Christ has come to you and to me in the meantime, in spirit and in power. Hence, we begin Mark's Gospel today in a new church year, not with chapter 1 in Mark's Gospel, interestingly enough, but with chapter 13. I invite you to look at it with me in your Bibles, Mark chapter 13, verse 24, or in your scripture sheet on the last page. It's the Gospel reading today. I'll just read the first part here. But in those days after that tribulation, the, dark, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light and the stars will be falling from heaven and the powers of the heavens will be shaken and then they will see the Son of Man coming in clouds with great power and glory and then he will send out the angels and gather his elect from the four winds from the ends of the earth and the ends of heaven. It's quite a dramatic moment if you take a moment to stop and think about what's going on here. Jesus' return is momentous. It's a momentous event. That final advent is not going to be missed by anybody. Indeed, all the nations, all the peoples, will look on the one whom they've pierced, as St. Bernard says. This is the moment when Jesus will be revealed in his fullness to everybody. Some to great joy and some to great terror. Commenting on this, John Calvin notes that the veil will be lifted and we will no longer, Jesus rather, will no longer be seen garbed as the despised servant, but as the king. The world may miss or deny the first coming of Jesus in Bethlehem, and many may miss or deny his salvation as he comes in spirit and in power to them. But no one will miss the final advent. Once he appears in majesty, no one will be able to miss it or deny him, even the dead. He will come to judge the living and the dead, and his kingdom will have no end. For the faithful Christian, for the follower of Jesus... That reality is not a dreadful thing, but a good one. In fact, a joyous one. For it's our reunion with our Lord when faith and hope and their necessity will disappear and love will remain. What should the Christian's attitude towards that final coming be then? We've already said that it should not be dread. But perhaps some of you do. I know I did as a child. I dreaded the final advent of the Lord. Not because anyone told me to, but because that's how it was pre presented. While the last judgment's not something to be taken lightly, the Christian view should not be one of terror. And I'm aware that a great disservice has been done to the faithful in segments of the church that focus wrongly on the end of the world. While the stated message of such this section of the church and their books and movies may not be one of overt dread and terror, the effect on the faithful 
has been a loss of joy, a displacement of hope for dread and terror, rather than that joy and love of God. While the church should never soft-pedal the fact that Jesus will return to judge the living and the dead, the sensationalism over the end times, the apocalypse, and certain interpretations of the book of Revelation is something that has played on the fears and stoked the passions that's been unhelpful to Christians in this country and perhaps in other places. Rather than bringing us joy and nurture, such interpretations have brought us dread. Note the balance that the Lord Jesus presentation of the final coming has here in Mark's gospel. He clearly states that there is a cosmic context, that yes, it won't be able to be missed, that nature itself, that spiritual powers, that authorities will be shaken, as well as all humans. That's all true. But then, look at the rest of the passage. What should our response be? To hide in terror? No. Jesus tells us, right? Look at verses 34 through 37. He says that his, second, his final coming is like a man going on a journey. And when he leaves home and puts his servants in charge, each with his work, and commands the doorkeeper to stay awake. Therefore, stay awake, for you do not know when the master of the house will come, in the evening or at midday, or when the rooster crows, or in the morning lest he come and find you asleep. And what I say to you, Jesus says, stay awake. That should be the Christian's response to the final advent. To stay awake. To acknowledge our position as the doorkeepers. The people that throw open the doors for the master. That open the gates of the city for the king to come in. In some of the older prayer books, the triumphal entry passage that we usually say it, uh, read it um, on Palm Sunday, is used on the first Sunday of Advent. Why? Because it's to draw us to the fact that we're to welcome the King, just as those in Jerusalem welcomed Christ wholeheartedly on Palm Sunday. We're to work at the tasks that He's given us to do and stay awake. The main message that our Lord Jesus is giving us is not one of terror, but one of urgency. One of urgency. One of excitement. You know how it is when you're expecting someone that you haven't seen for a long time, maybe a family member or a good friend, and inevitably their trip takes longer than you think and you're staying up late. And what are you doing? Are you afraid of that person coming? No. You're sitting there at the door waiting. Maybe you've made some coffee or some tea. You, you can't wait for them to come into your house to see them again. That's what Jesus is going after here. I've noticed in my own life, however, that there's a temptation for the Christian to fall into a fearful survival mode. And I think we all have to look at ourselves honestly when it comes to this. Like the rich young ruler in Mark 10, it's easy for us not to wait with joyful expectation for the Lord, but rather to look at a type of minimalism and ask, as the rich young ruler did, Teacher, 
what shall I do to inherit the kingdom of heaven? By which I mean that I see in myself, and perhaps you see in yourselves too, that you ask, what's the minimal that I can do? What's the minimal that I can do? How can I just get by so that the king's not ticked when he shows up? Friends, that misses the mark. Maybe I'm just bearing my own soul to you on that, but I would guess that you share some of that temptation too. But Jesus is saying to keep alert and to work at the tasks and to be a doorkeeper is a joyous thing. And when we don't do that, it makes us weak, both individually and as a church. And it makes us less ready to receive the king. The attitude of checking off a box because we went to church or said our prayers or went to fellowship group this week or gave to the poor or witnessed just once this week about Jesus to somebody, that attitude is not the attitude of a joyful servant and a happy doorkeeper or a saint who's awaiting the king's return. And such an attitude allows us to sleep into exactly what Jesus warns against, a slumber, a slumber, a complacency, That great rock of the church, St. Athanasius, quoting Philippians chapter 3, verse 13, writes this, Whereas this time is uncertain and always in prospect, we may advance day by day as if summoned, reaching forward to the things before us and forgetting the things behind. For who, if they knew the day would end, would not disregard the interval? But if ignorance would be kept more ready, day by day. What's the good saint trying to say here? That following Jesus, that awaiting as a doorkeeper joyfully and expectantly, is to be not concerned that the king is coming, but but awake and alert to the fact that the king is coming in that final advent. To have that certainty in your mind that he will come, and to be prepared for his coming. And so what are we called to do in Advent, particularly this first Sunday of Advent? Well, as followers of Jesus, we're called to keep in mind the final Advent, the final coming of Jesus, which is for certain, if we're going to take his word about it. Jesus has said that he will come back He will not leave us as orphans in this way. So we can be utterly confident and convinced that that's going to happen, dear friends. As doorkeepers, we have to be constantly watching for his return, meaning that there's no vacation, there's no limit, there's no minimalism to our faith, but rather there's a fullness of love and devotion which brings forth obedience and joy, always informing every word and deed in our lives, knowing that he will come back and we will be brought before him. We need to take Jesus as his word in confidence. Number two, if we really believe that with all of our hearts, we need to prepare, to be alert, as Jesus says to us, to recognize that whether he comes in five minutes or a thousand years, 
we may be called to meet him at a moment's notice. And whether he comes in five minutes or a thousand years, and whether it's a thousand years, we could meet him in death first. It's a good way to judge your own confidence and preparedness by going through the following exercise. Ask yourself this week, at several moments throughout the week, if I thought Jesus was coming back next week, how would I do this differently? What if just we said that Jesus is coming back next Wednesday and we knew it with certainty? How would we do things differently for the next week? I wish I would have understood earlier in life that Advent's not about playing like we're in the Old Testament, but about looking forward to the certainty of Jesus' return. The arrival of Christ in the Incarnation is a glorious thing. Don't get me wrong. He has come. Maranatha. But the advent of Jesus at Christmas is only the beginning. For that intermediate advent, the arrival of the King in our hearts is something that needs to be renewed every year. And the church knows this, which is why she puts Advent at the head of every year. And the final Advent, the return of the King in glory, is something that we need to grasp onto and confidently and joyously hope for to make it through another year together. Maranatha, Jesus has come. Maranatha, come, Lord Jesus. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Now let us stand, and turning to page 127, let us confess our faith in the words of the Nicene Creed. We believe in one God, the Father, the Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, of all that is visible and invisible. We one Lord Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son of God, eternally begotten of the Father, God from God, light from light, true God from true God, begotten and not made, of one being with the Father. Through him all things were made. For us and for our salvation, he came down from heaven, was incarnate from the Holy Spirit and the Virgin Mary, and was made man. For our sake he is crucified under Pontius Pilate, he suffered death and was buried. On the third day he rose again in accordance with the scriptures. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again in glory to judge the living and the dead and his kingdom will have no end. We believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord, the giver of life, 
who proceeds from the Father and the Son. With the Father and the Son, he is worshipped and glorified. He hath spoken through the prophets. We believe in one holy, Catholic, and apostolic church. We acknowledge one baptism for the forgiveness of sins. We look for the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. Amen. Please be seated. Uh, today we're dedicating a new set of, of um, vestments for the season of Advent. And this is particularly dear to me and my family because uh, we're dedicating this chasuble, uh, the stole and maniple, in honor of um, my grandmother uh, who went to be with the Lord. Uh, was it just last year, Dad? Grandma? I think so. Um, but uh, she was on altar guild for 50 years plus. <laughs> at least, gosh, um, starting Altar Guild in the 1950s, shortly after she was married, and served even in this church at the Lord's Table, um, bringing forward things. Altar Guild is a wonderful ministry, by the way. I'll give it a little plug here, perhaps in her honor. It's one of the quiet ministries of the church, without which we can't have uh, the communion of the church. The Altar Guild sets up the things up on the altar and cleans them and irons them, and takes them down. It's very important, and it's an offering unto God. And therefore, as an offering unto God, we're going to be dedicating this new set of vestments. It's really a remarkable thing when you think about it. Not just that God invites us to be part of his family, but that he invites us to weave our love in with his love. That our stories as families become part of the church's story. And this is a way that that literally happens, right? That every time a priest puts on this vestment, he'll see that person and pray for that person and remember that that person is part of the church. So I just want to encourage you in that and to think about that. This isn't just show stuff that we do, right? That's the mistake that some people fall into, that it's all just a pretty show. But this is part of our love and devotion to the Lord. And so, Billy, would you bring over the holy water to me? And we'll bless these vestments. Why don't you just hold it there? There's a response for the people right here as well on page 15. You shall make holy vestments, or holy garments for Aaron, for glory and beauty. Clothe your ministers with righteousness. Let us pray. O God, you revealed your Son clothed in majesty and glory. Accept these vestments for the use of the clergy of your church that being clothed with humility they may minister to you, they may show forth his eternal splendor through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. And so we bless these in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. <clears throat> 